listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. You have a Bible or your iPad or your whatever, uh, you can turn it to Exodus chapter 13. That's where we're going to be as we continue in this series. So when we lived in Texas, I flew back east a couple times. And so the first time we did, we, you know, this is back in the early days. AOL days. I know some of you still have an AOL, which you need to at least get a, a hot meal and step up, right? But, you know, but the olden days of AOL, and, and we went to one of those sites where, you know, you, you choose your flight, but you, you know, or you choose the price, you're going to fly until you kind of hit that button, and you're like, oh, please, Lord, you know, and we found a great price. We had two kids at the time, you know, we don't have a lot of money, so we, so I hit the confirm key, and to our delight, the favor of God resting upon us, the hallelujah We had a direct flight. I mean, it was like DFW, Greenville, South Carolina. I was like, this is awesome. This doesn't happen, right? So the next year when we went and did it again, okay, I come, the favor of the Lord must still be upon us, right? You know, because we're still, right? So hit the button again, confirm. This time we have a connection flight, but it's not through Atlanta. I got to go all the way to Chicago, Chicago, a thousand miles north so that I can come south. And, I, and I'm run, it's running through my mind all the logical things, which really don't matter. Lord, this doesn't make sense. It's more gas to go north, to go south. I mean, we have two kids. Don't, where's the favor resting upon me? I, it's all this time. It's, despite all the logic, and despite, we were in, I remember we were in DFW Airport, and there was a direct flight to Greenville, like three gates down, and I'm like longing to be on that flight. We got to go to Chicago, to O'Hare, and then have a layover. Get there. Right? And of course, we get there and we do it and, and you know, that's the way it works. So why do I share that story? Because sometimes in life, the Christian life, we want to go here and we know the right way to get there. get there. And we know where God is calling us and we feel like this is the direction he's leading us. But for some reason, God takes us way north so that he can take us south. Right? Chicago. And sit in the airport for three hours and eat Sabaro pizza before we can get to where he wants us. Right? And it's, you know, it's nothing more than an inconvenience when it's in. But how about when it's a loved one in a hospital bed and you're like, I don't, this is not where I wanted to be. How about it's uh, everyone else around me is married and I'm not going to be. Everyone else is having kids, and I can't. Everyone else's kids are doing well, and mine are struggling. How come everyone else seems to love their job, and all I have is conflict in my job? How come everyone else's home seems so happy, and I got all these struggles? And it's those places. I know where you want us. I know where you want to take us. Why am I sitting in O'Hare eating Sbarro when I want to be down there? Why does God take us north sometimes when we want to go south? Sure today. In our text, and I don't have all the answers. I I don't have all the answers, but I have three of them from this text. And we can see that God is going to take His people and put them in a place for a reason, for a purpose, and it's north when we want to go south because we're going to come to this Red Sea text, the one that you know, the highlight of the book, right? But what you need to get is they don't even have to be at the Red Sea. The Red Sea is out of the way. There's a more direct route to the. 
But God takes them here for a reason. And if we can get into his mind and understand his motivation for why he takes them there, then maybe for some of us, if you're like, I've been O'Hara with, for three winters now. I'm ready to get out and eat something. Right? And so maybe God can encourage you this morning. So Exodus chapter 13. We're going to cover really the rest of 13 and 14 in this, in this famous narrative. The most famous narrative really in the book. Um, and where we've been, time we've been working through this book, the 10 plagues have happened. The people have left Egypt. They've plundered them. They've taken their riches. And now they're on the way. And you can imagine there's some joy. They've four years of slavery. There's some joy now. They're on the way. They think this is it. Life is going to be easy. Hunky-dory from here on out. Maybe not. Let's jump into our text this morning and see. Chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't land the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Egypt went up out of battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before. All right, so here's, here's the key to that whole section. God is leading them. Remember, Moses tells Pharaoh, he tells people, we don't really know where we're going. We don't really know what we're going to be doing. So, so God is going to lead them. So three times led them, and he leads them in the day. There's a cloud, and at night there's a pillar of fire. So whether it's day or night, all they have to do, if they want to know where God wants them to go, look up. If they're ever wondering, is God to do is, Look up. If they're like, are we on the right path? Are we headed in the right direction? Do we, I don't know what we're supposed to do. All they have to do is look up. God is leading them exactly where he wants them to go. And I know the temptation, wouldn't it be nice if in the Christian life, we just all had little pillars of fire at night and a little cloud during the day? I mean, you'd be dangerous on the Truman because everyone would be like all out, you know, looking up. Is the cloud still there? But I mean, am I supposed to date that guy? Yes or no? Over here. Am I supposed to take that job and move to Kansas? Never move to Kansas. No, you know, you know, you just follow the cloud. Wouldn't that be great? All right, that would be awesome. What major should I be? Business administration. You know, I mean, easy, wouldn't it? But let me let me encourage you. Let me remind you. What did Jesus say? He said, "It's better that I go away." How in the world could it be better if the Son of God leaves and goes away? He says, "Because then I can send you my." Spirit. And I send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, the keeper, and he will be with you forever. He'll teach you in all things. See, God has given us something better, he says, than even Jesus being physically here. He says, I've given you my spirit. I've sealed you with it. And I've given you. So now you know who I am and you know what I've asked you and you know, you know my heart. And there's a tendency, I know, in the church to be like, you know, we, you know, we, we just don't want to. Uh, be all theological. And we don't. We don't want theology for theology's sake. What we want is to come to the Bible so that we can know God. Because in the Bible, he, we know his heart. And we know his promises. What does Moses and the people of God have? There's two things we're going to see. The presence of God, they see it, and the promises of God. Presence of God in us and the promises of God. 
And we come to the scripture not to get smarter. We come to the scripture to know God. If you wanna get smarter, you can, and knowledge will puff you up. But if you wanna know the heart of God and what he's called us to, you come to the Bible. And, and it doesn't result in just a coldness and a legalism and all these things. Nothing else works that way. You don't say, the more time I hang out with my kids, the more I just really don't like them. Some of you do. But most of us are like, oh, the more time I'm with my kids, man, I love it. The more time I'm with my friends, I just want to be with my friends. I just love them. The more time you are with your God, the more awestruck you are with him. The more you understand his heart, the more. And that's his desire for you. It's his desire for us. That's just kind of a side note. But God is leading his people. He's giving them his promises. He's giving them his presence. All right? And he is leading them north. And he, they want to go. Right, here's a map of what's going on. And you say, why, why would God do this? He says, God led them, and he doesn't lead them the quickest way. The quickest way, you see, you see they're, they're in, this, in that Ramesses area. We don't know where all these little cities are that are mentioned. But they're in that, in that Nile Delta, and the quickest way to the promised land, it's just right up the coast. I mean, you're going up the A1A, Beach, Beachfront Avenue, right? You know, that's, that would be easy. It's actually a three-day journey. You can get there in three days. Why not just go that way? God's gonna take them south. And that little squiggly line, that stands for 40, okay? 40 years, right? But what, first thing they do, they go south. But they wanna go north. Why does God do that? He tells them. He says, I'm gonna go south and not north because the Philistines are there. And the Philistines, they grew up with a spear the Israelites, they grew up with a soccer ball. These people have been warriors since they were kids. These people have been slaves for 400 years. And here's the key. They're not ready yet. They're not ready. And I don't want them to see the Philistines freaked out and then run back to Egypt. So I am going to take them the long way around through the wilderness. Right? Even though they don't want. Because God is a good dad. And he knows what's best for his kids. See, what? Parent, you want to put your kids in places they can succeed. One of my, my thirdborn just got his permit. And so learning on the golf cart. I'm not taking him down to Daytona. I'm like, okay, go, buddy. 180. Let's get on it. Why? Because involved. Golf cart, the worst case scenario, you hit a squirrel. All right. Daytona, five. no, you're not ready. One day, maybe Daytona. But right now, golf cart. And God is saying, you're not ready. And here's the first reason. It may not be may not be the reason why you're sitting in O'Hara right now eating tomorrow, but for some of you here, God has you in a holding pattern. He's got you north when you want to be south. Why? Because you're just not ready for what he has next. That blessing, that whatever it is, you're just not ready. You're like every, all my friends, are, they, have, they have significant others and they're married. And it's not that God is down on that. He wants that. That's good. But maybe he's thinking, but you, you got, you're not ready yet. You don't even, you know, your room looks like it was blown up, right? You haven't done laundry in seven months. Yeah, we need you to get that taken care of first. Then we'll get you a spouse. Whatever it is. I've been sitting in this job. on. You just don't know what's going to open up over here. And you're not ready for it. But God's going to open up. You just can't see it. I don't know what it is. But I know this. Sometimes we don't get to move because we're just not ready. Because God is 
wants to develop character. You're not ready because there needs to be some character forged in you. You're sitting in middle management for five years because God's trying to bring the fruit of humility, of faithfulness, perseverance, that you are in a place where, um, you know, there, there's, everyone else has gifts and they have abilities and, and you know, you have, feel like you have gifts and abilities and they never get called on. God's trying to teach you uh, just, just quiet and being content in that, right? Or there's a conflict and there's this hard situation at work or there's a hard situation in your family and you're this. God's trying to teach you patience, right? Or there's a health issue that you just want to wake up and feel good. Stop aching and stop hurting and stop having to go to the doctors and say, what is wrong? And I don't, we trying to teach you Joy, that you consider it all joy when you encounter struggle. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I know this, that sometimes God doesn't take you to the Philistines because you're not ready or he doesn't give you this blessing yet because that's okay, right? He's taking you the long way. Don't begrudge the long way. I know you're all in a hurry. We're all in a hurry. You're gonna go to the Publix. You're gonna go to the Kroger after this. You're gonna you're going to walk around for five minutes looking for the shortest line. Well, there's, there's only three people there, but there's, a, there's an older person there, and they're going to take forever. They're probably going to write a check. I'm going to go over here. Oh, I can't go over there. And, and you're wandering for 20 minutes trying to get into the line. Because we are just so in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Sometimes God is just, you're just not ready, and he takes, you, he takes you to O'Hare. He takes you to Chicago. Takes you to the wilderness, because the wilderness is the place where your character is forged, and you see this throughout the Bible, y'all. Right, David. David gets anointed the next king. David kills the Philistine. David marries the king. Like the next thing, it becomes David becomes king. David goes to the desert for ten years and lives in a cave. That's the next step. We saw with Moses, forty years. Right, he's ready to deliver. He. God says, you're not ready. You gotta go take care of sheep in the desert for 40 years before you can take my people. Joseph, we studied him in the spring last year. Okay, you're gonna be second in command. You gotta go to jail for a couple of years. You gotta learn middle management in the jail before you can manage this nation. Just not ready. And I don't have a Philistine and I don't have a jail story close a couple times. Uh, but I, when we felt called to leave teaching and go into full-time ministry back in 2002, I mean, could we have just moved to Savannah, Georgia and started a church? I mean, maybe. But the step for us was wilderness. We got to go to Dallas. And there is no trees. It is the wilderness. Why? Because papers are going to help me and classes in Greek and Hebrew. I mean, yeah, some. But there's just something about moving to the wilderness just going to a place in faith of learning dependence, of, of listening to people, of watching. That's a, that's a wilderness. and Not ready. And, and so if you feel like this, you're sitting in O'Hare with Sabaro, and you're like, when, God, when? Are you even see me? Do you even know? Just like the people of Israel. Right? They had the cloud. I'm not saying look up the cloud and be like, oh, that's God. No. 
know that he is there and you cling to his promises. You're on a layover. It's been a seven-year layover. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will God and his staff will comfort you. We sang it this morning. Nothing can separate you. What can separate me from the love of God in Christ? That I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I don't lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge him. He what? He will direct your path. Directs your path to sitting in an airport on layover for seven years. Right? It's not the only reason, but, but for some of you, that's where you're at. Because you're just not ready. And God will get you there. Right? But that's the first Verse 1, chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Pi-ha-harath. I got it this time. Missed it, second service. Between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. That I am the Lord. And they did so. So God tells Moses, here's the plan. Go south. Okay, yes, go south, not north. Wander around for a little bit, acting like you're lost. Acting like you're lost, or we are lost. Just act like you're lost. Go to the sea and stop and pin yourself into the sea. And, and then here's what I'm going to do I'm going to lure out Pharaoh. And so he's going to come at you. So Moses got to be thinking, wait, here's the plan, God the wilderness, put herself in a completely helpless situation, and then you're going to use us as bait to lure Pharaoh out. That is the plan, God. That is the plan. And what, look at his response. And they did so. Okay, God. See how far Moses has come in, in just nine chapters. Chapter three, I can't do it. I can't do it. Now he says, God says, I'm going to use you as bait to lure Pharaoh out, put you in a helpless situation. Okay. And they did it. What's happened to Moses? He's got God's presence. He's got his promises. It's the only thing. He knows what God has said. He's seen God come through. And so he says, all right. That's the plan. All right? That is the plan. And so they do it. Verse 5. And when the king of Egypt was told that Pharaoh had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done? We have serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, all his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped by the sea at Pi-Harath and Baal-Sephon. So it works. There they at. And in there, and imagine, I want you to put yourself in the narrative. The, the Israelites, there's a joyfulness. They just have come out. They've gone out defiantly. They got all this stuff, right? They're probably counting. Oh, look at that. That's a, that's a beautiful tune. They're at the beach. It's a good day. The Egyptians, how are they right now? Not only has, have they been plundered, they're, they're broke. Everything in their house is gone. Every single at least one family member. Remember, every house suffered a loss. Somebody's mom, someone's brother, someone's son, someone's dad, someone's cousin. How do they feel right now? There's a... They want to destroy. Pharaoh gets all his chariots, 600 choice, and the rest of them, all his soldiers, and they are out 
for blood. They are out for vengeance. They are on their way. And the Israelites are just hanging out at the beach. And then off in the distance, just a cloud, dust. Israelites are like, oh, is there a storm coming? And, and then they hear the rumbling and the horses thundering towards them. And through the cloud, army and the people of Israel see it and they freak out. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt you have taken us out to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve die in the wilderness. They do what, what we do. When you're sitting in O'Hare, when you're out of your comfort zone, when you were at a place you would never choose, you don't want to be there, it's a direction you, you're, you're at and you don't want to be there, they do what we do. Blame. God, what are you doing? We've seen that before. God, where are you? If you care, why do I still struggle with depression? If you care, why is this sin still strong? If you care, why don't you take care of that? There's that then they do what I think, maybe this is very male, but I do this, and I think some of us too. We start blaming. We start trying to connect the dots. If we would have just stayed in Egypt, it would have been fine, right? Egypt was a kids in the Nile, and they were beating us and all these things, right? It was a happy time. But we, they try to connect the dots. This is what we do, right? Oh, you wouldn't be in this circuit. If you would have done X, Y, and Z, you wouldn't have been there, right? Oh, you should have done F, C in college, then you would be married. You should have went to Kansas and not Alaska. You should have done X and O. And we try to retrace the steps as if there's some, some formula that leads to blessing in the world. And here's, here's what I'd say. In our lives that make, you know, there's repercussions that come with it, right? Of course. But in this case, what would the Israelites have done differently? They did, all they did was what? There it goes. Why are they at the beach pinned in in the desert? Because God put them there. That's why. Did they do anything wrong? No. They did everything he said. In the middle of God's will and they have been nothing but obedient and they are sitting in a completely helpless situation. And let me say this. Life is not so simple that you can just, oh, if you would have done, uh, sometimes God will put situation and it is not because you've done something wrong. It is not because of anything else. It is his, he's got you sitting on layover in the airport. Why? Why would God do that? That is the question. And he's gonna tell us, but before he does, look what Moses says to the people. Moses says, fear not. Yeah, right. It's easy for you to say, Moses. Chariots. All I got is a dress here. What am I gonna do? Swing it at them? Fear not. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you will only have to be silent. And here's what's significant there. Moses doesn't know what God's... He hasn't been told, this is how it's going to work. He doesn't know. What does he know? I have the presence of God and I have the promises of God. Just like Joseph said, send my bones ahead to Israel because you're going back to Israel in the last chapter. Take my bones. Promises of God, and he has the presence of God. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows that. So God must show up, and God does show up. So Moses must say, God, what are we supposed to do? 
must say something to God because God responds, I love this. Tell the people to go forward. I mean, this, this is fascinating because you think about, okay, go forward. Forward where? Forward towards the Egyptians? No, no, forward towards the sea. What I want you to do, Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And Moses has got to be thinking, I didn't think of that. And I did the, you know, the hail thing, but I never thought about that. And, and so, so that's, a, that's an interesting idea. So he does it. He says, and then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will go through after them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, the chariots. And will know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Did you catch what he said there two times? And he said it earlier, by the way, in verse four. Why does God pin them in in a helpless situation, a place they have nowhere to go? Why does he do that? I'll tell you why. To display his glory. To display his glory. So that when no one can say, how did that happen? What happened there? So that he, his, his glory will be shown. So there's no doubt who did the thing about this. The greater the obstacle, the greater the challenge, the greater the glory. So here's what's a challenging thing for us to get, but you need to understand that God will put you in the middle of a circumstance that's not your fault, that you didn't do anything wrong, no place to go. He will put you in that place so that his glory is maximized. So that he is going, he does it all the time in the Bible. So why does the little short David go up against the tall Goliath? So no, scrappy, that's why he won. No, so they can say, that was a God thing. Well, remember Jericho, where the people of Israel go into the Canaan, Canaan, the promised land, the first city, these huge walls of Jericho. What's the plan? City. What do you want us to do? Hammer it every time we go by? Or jackhammer it? No, just walk. And on the seventh day, walk seven times and then yell, woohoo! And the walls will fall so that you know you did nothing. Stood there and walked. And then remember Gideon? He's got 32,000 guys against 120,000, which is not great odds, but you know, four to one. Okay, you got a shot. God says, that's way too many guys. We're going to take that down to 300 guys. Now you can go. And here's what I want you to do. Leave your sword at home. I want you to take a flashlight and a kazoo. And what you do is you find the flashlight and blow the kazoo and you're going to win. So you know they do, they win. Why does God do it that way? So that there is no doubt who gets the glory. And God will allow you to be in circumstances that you don't want to be in. That you don't, you would there and you want to be here. Why? So his glory is maximized. So that when you're in the hospital and you're sitting with that loved one and the peace that surpasses all comprehension is guarding your thoughts and all the nurses and doctors are like, how are they so calm? How are they so joyful? God is glorified in that moment. And I've seen some of you walk through that, the loss of someone, the uh, the, the struggle with this, and, and you have God in that, the way you did that. And people stood back and said, whoa, God is glorified. When there's a financial crunch in your life and you're still generous and you give out of your poverty and people are like, they don't have money. 
witness, God is glorified. When you get cut from the team or someone takes your starting position or you lose the big game and you can go to the very person, that guy or that girl that took your place, that took your spot, instead of you that you wanted so bad and that you can celebrate with them and congratulate them, not like, oh, congratulations, I hate you, your tires are flat, I'm God. But you can truly rejoice with them in that hard moment, God is glorified. Glorified, Right? Uh, when you don't get into the school you wanted to get into, you don't get a scholarship, but that person over there did. When you're not jealous, God is glorified. Hurts you, gossips you, does something, and you don't go behind and just get back, I'm gonna get back, I'll make it worse. When you go and you say, hey man, can I pray for you? You pray for your enemies, you bless your enemies. When you do that, God is glorified. See, the maximization of his glory. And it doesn't have to be some Red Sea moment. It can just be the simple things of life. I'm in this situation that I don't want to be. And understand this. It's okay that you don't want to be in O'Hare. It's okay you don't want to be in Chicago. It's all right that you don't have to be in that place. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, I don't want to be here. Take this cup from me. But with the, the, the end goal is, but Father, whatever you say, I want to glorify you. In the end, that's the response. God's okay and on a layover that you don't want to be in. It's okay, unless you're just gonna be discontent and be angry. In the end, it's like Job. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what he's after, and God is glorified in that moment. Why does God care so much about his glory? I mean, it's all about his glory, all about his glory. I mean, it almost seems like God's a little bit egotistical, which I would say be very cautious when you <laughs> accuse God of being egotistical. The idea of God's glory, it's a, the word glory is just an idea of heaviness or weightiness or substance. God cares about his glory because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. Not because he's proud, it's because he, it's just worthy. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. I think we'll get it this way. So imagine uh, your bank lets you know, okay, your accounts, all your retirement accounts, all your savings accounts, we've actually opened them up for anybody Take from them their, they can come and take from your retirement account. Are you okay with that? Well, your response would probably be like, no, I'm not okay with that. Why? Are you an egomaniac? Or a project for six months at work and you've been working on it hours, 100 hours a week, 80 hours a week, and at the end, you kill it, knock it out of the ballpark, but then someone else puts their name on it, someone else gets credit for it, someone else gets the raise, someone else gets the promotion. You okay with that? No, you're not. Why? Are you an egomaniac? Or, or your kid, you know, gets 1580 on the SATs. Woohoo! Right? Gonna get scholarship offers, gonna get all these things. But then credit for your kid's 1580, and your kid gets the 720 instead. You gonna be happy with that? Oh, it's okay. They, you know. No, you're gonna be like, no, my kid worked hard, got the 1580. See, we, we get it when it's our stuff. When it, I know I worked hard. I got the 15 years. I did the project. It's my money. It's okay. It's God's glory. He is the creator of God. He is greatly to be praised. Has had every chance to recognize it. Snake, in, a, a, a stick into a snake. Ten plagues. And they keep hardening the heart. They keep resisting. They keep, no, 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 no. And so God says, I will get glory. Get glory over my creation. And so he does, even through 
judgment. But the point for us is this. God will allow you to be in circumstances you never would choose, not because he just wants you to be miserable, his glory, and he is most glorified when you are most satisfied. And so the question would be, God, are you trying to shape my character? You're trying to make me ready for something, and how can I maximize your glory in this situation? Not even see that, y'all. I'm not promising you'll see it next week. You may not see it this side of heaven, but one day, you will see what God was doing. Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. One day you'll get it. One day you'll stand there and say, and you'll say, it was worth it. Eating Sabaro for seven years in O'Hara was worth it because of the glory that was sharing with me. So it's not every reason, but it's some reasons. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe God is maximizing his glory in you. One more thing. Verse 19, the angel of God who was going on before the host of moved and went behind them and the pillar of them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. There was a cloud in the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other. The idea is this, people of Israel are walking, people of Egypt are here, God gets in the middle and he stops it, All right? And they can't see anything and there's lightning and thunder, the psalmist says, and these people have light so that they can see and cross. Right? And here's the miracle. So Moses stretches out his hand over the sea. Just picture this now. I mean, I know you've seen kind of the Prince of Egypt or whatever, but picture this. He stretches out his hand back the sea with a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. How wide was this? Two million people have got across. It's got to be a quarter mile, half mile. I mean, just unbelievable. The waters are divided. The people of Israel went dry ground, the waters being a wall on the right and left. I mean, it's the Georgia Aquarium on the right and the left. And you can imagine people are like, I mean, just awestruck as they're walking through on dry ground. Right? It's a miracle. And there's some, you can read, oh, that wasn't a miracle. You know, the people of Israel walking through the marsh and there's all sorts of things that deny the miraculous thing uh, that God has done here. In fact, I read a funny story about of a preacher. He didn't believe in miracles. And one of his people in this church said, praise the Lord, taking all those children through the deep waters. What a mighty miracle. And the preacher, not believing in miracles, said, it wasn't a miracle. We were in marsh. The children picked their way across six inches of water. The man shouted again, praise the Lord. The Lord drowned all them Egyptians in six inches of water. What a mighty miracle. It was a miracle. I did a miracle which is not big for God, right? Because he's God. And, and the danger of saying, oh, it wasn't miraculous, it wasn't a miracle. The danger of doing that is, it's the same danger of the Egyptians who are seeing miracles and saying, no, God, Pharaoh is God. Yahweh is not God, the frog God is the God. Yahweh is not God, the Nile is the God. It's the same hog heart. God does a miracle, it's amazing, right? It is amazing. And then you come really to the most puzzling, I think this whole chapter. Not because it's hard to understand. I just don't know what was going through their minds. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Didn't. I don't think this is a good idea. I just, I got a bad feeling about this. I feel like it may be a trap. It's a trap. It is. I mean, come on. I had to, it's a trap. They, they got to know it, but they don't. And they run headlong like Wiley e. Coyote. 
in. And in the morning, watch, the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, threw them into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them. See, here's the, here's the tragedy of this verse. This conversation an hour earlier. It's too late. Yes, you should have reckoned. You had all the opportunities. You had plagues. You had a cloud in the middle blocking. Now you see water so high, and you think it's a good idea to go in. This is why sin makes you dumb. A hard heart makes you dumb. This is the urgency of today is the day of salvation, right? An hour earlier, and they live. Now it's too late. So verse 26, the Lord said to Moses, that the water may came back on the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And covered the chariots and the horsemen, all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall on the right and the left. It's condemnation or there's salvation, Right? God. But notice, notice the result. This is where I want to zoom in. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This, this is why God did it this way. This is another reason. What's the result? The people of God believed and trusted and saw great and their faith was strengthened and this is what God is doing in some of our lives he puts you in a place you don't want to be it's not your fault you, it's out of your way it's north when you want to go south it's because he wants to make your faith strong because the only way to strengthen something is to put it in crisis just like a muscle right you want to make something stronger it doesn't happen sitting on the couch watching the master thing you want to make something stronger, you put it in crisis. Put a muscle in crisis so that it gets stronger. You want faith to increase, put it in a, in a place where you got to use it. The Lord knows when things are easy, what do we do? We coast and get complacent. And I'm not saying he doesn't allow for times of rest, he does. But sometimes he will bring struggles, he will bring conflict, he will bring this and that. Not because you're wicked, not because you've done anything wrong. He's trying to build you up so that the next time you face that very thing, you're like, I've been through this Red Sea before. I've seen what God did. He can do it again. And not only for your own walk, so that you can point other people. So I had anxiety for three years and I wrestled with it and God brought me through that. And now you have it and now I'm going to walk with you and show you what God did in my life. You got struggles with your kids. You got struggle in this situation at work. That happened to me. Let me tell you what God did in my life. And you can, you can increase their faith. That's what God does with them. He increases their faith because they have nowhere else to turn. And God will allow us to be in those places so that there is dependence and humility and Lord knows we need it. It's easy, we coast. And then we get self-sufficient and God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. So why does God take us north when we want to go south sometimes? I don't know all the reasons, but I know at least three of them. Because you're not ready for the blessings or the challenges that are ahead, and he's getting you ready. Some of you, God is displaying his glory in a way that only he can, so that he is seen as great. And some of you, he is increasing and strengthening your faith for that which is next.
be an encouragement to other people. And then when you get through it, what do you do? You look back at the Red Sea and say, wow, that was impressive. And remember what I told you the first week, the Red Sea is the Testament. Right? It, really, this whole story is the cross of the Old Testament. You were slaves, freed by the blood, led by the Spirit, the cloud, through the waters of baptism into the promised land of God and the delight of God is. That's, that's the whole story of Exodus. That's the story of your life. Slaved, free, to walk by the Spirit, united with Christ in baptism so that you can be with God forever. Back to the place, the Red Sea. God's faithfulness, his presence, his promise. So if you're, if you're sitting in the, in, the, in the O'Hare airport this morning, I know you're discouraged. God is present. Look down at his promises. He hasn't abandoned you. He's doing something. And one day you'll understand, even if it's over them. And if you need prayer, we have a prayer team there. Some men and women who love to pray for y'all. And maybe you're, you're in that situation. They're, they sit in the hall behind after service so you can go privately. They'd love to pray for you. They pray generally for our church every Sunday. If you need to grab one of them and just say, hey, could you pray for me right now? They'd love to do that for you after the service. Just go. They have uh, little tags on. You'll know who they are. They're, again, outside these doors. We'd love to pray for you in that way and be there for y'all. Whatever your need. I want you all stand and I'll pray and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for your presence, your spirit that leads us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises. You'll never leave us. You'll never thank you that you lead us sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death, but you lead us. You lead us there and you comfort us there and you protect us there. And so if people here are struggling with just what's going on in their life, find hope in you. Let them find rest in you. Let them find love in you. It's in Christ's name I pray.